with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we're back today to preview week four of the 2018 college football season and react to a great weekend of college football. We had a lot of big-time upsets this week. Not a great weekend for the Big Ten in particular. So, as always, there's plenty to talk about. We begin things at the top of this week's show on Draft Buzz, where I chat with NFL Draft insider Tony Pauline to give us the latest news and notes from around college football. We've got some great performances with stocks on the rise. We've got a few guys to hit on that I've watched I want to ask Tony about. So we'll talk about all of that with Draft Buzz. Then we'll transition to scouting report where this week I'll go over my notes on one of the top names in the senior class at wide receiver in Paris Campbell from Ohio State. Now, there's some debate about Campbell and his ability to line up either inside or outside. So I want to bring this discussion back to the talk about Nelson Aguilar this week after the signing of Jordan Matthews. So make sure you stick around for that discussion after that. We'll get to Mr. Relevant, where this week my buddy Greg Cosell joins the show to talk about some of these senior quarterbacks and his thoughts on them based off of his film study over the summer. Next up, we've got Saturday Scouting, where Ben Fennell returns to talk about his thoughts on Oklahoma versus Iowa State, and we'll find out where he's heading this weekend. Then we wrap things up on Draft Mailbag, where I'll take a question or two from you guys and answer them here on the show. We've got a ton going on this week, as always, so let's get things started this week with the latest and greatest surprise surrounding the 2019 NFL Draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for some Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Joining us once again here on Draft Buzz on the Journey to the Draft podcast is one none other than Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com, NFL Draft Insider extraordinaire. Tony, welcome back, sir. Thank you very much for joining us here uh, for week three or week four now of the college football season. Uh, it's going very fast already. But, uh, Tony, let's get things, get things started here with the tight end position. Now, the past two drafts, We've seen both kind of quality and quantity at the top of each of those classes. Last April, three guys went off the board in the top 50, including Dallas Goddard, obviously, to the Eagles. Back in 2017, we saw three of these guys go off the board in the first round. We saw O.J. Howard, who the Eagles just saw this past week in Tampa, David Joku, uh, hard knock star out in Cleveland, and then Evan Ingram of the New York Giants. Now, as we look at the position this fall, just from face value, I think there's a name or two I'm excited about. You know, I, I like a couple of these guys, but I, I don't know that anybody's being talked about necessarily in that vein on a national scale. Uh, it's been relatively quiet. So are there any tight ends that you feel are rising or helping themselves so far this season based off what you've seen and what you've heard? Well, definitely from what I've heard. And there is a name uh, that's really making the rounds in the scouting community uh, that, that is head and shoulders above the, the rest, and that is Caden Smith out of Stanford. Uh, I talked to people last week, and scouts feel that he's a guy that if he continues to progress, he will be the first tight end selected, and he's going to be a first-round choice. You know, you look at that Stanford program, Dalton Schultz, uh, Austin Hooper, Zach Ertz, who's had so much success with the Philadelphia Eagles, and Caden Smith could actually be the best of them, scouts feel. About six foot four, 250 pounds, has the, has the speed to split the seam down the field. Last year he split time. Basically, is the second tight end behind Dalton Schultz. Had 23 receptions for 414 yards and five TDs, averaged 18 yards per catch. This year in three games, he's got 12 receptions for 163 yards. 
He's got the physical skills that teams want. They feel he's a three-down tight end. He's got the, the frame to be a blocker. He's got the speed in the hands to be a receiver. They really look at him as an oversized receiver at the tight end position who can block. And Smith, because of the fact that he, he played almost behind Dalton Schultz last year, was an overlooked commodity. You know, as you said, we've talked about Elise Max, Notre Dame. Really hasn't done anything in the early part of the season to distinguish himself. Noah Fant is uh, is a name often bandied about, you know, in, in the internet world as potentially the first tight end taken. Uh, the kid from Iowa, the junior from Iowa, if he enters the draft, good pass catcher. I, I, I think he's improved his blocking. I don't know he's fast enough, but Caden Smith, scouts feel he is the total package. And again, not to be redundant, but they feel if he continues on this path enters the draft, he will not only be the first tight end selected, but he's likely to be the only tight end to be selected in round one. It's very interesting stuff because Caden Smith, obviously a very young player. I haven't gotten a chance to study him yet, but uh, certainly has the makings, it seems, of a three-down type player at the position. So uh, let's start reacting to some of the action we saw this past week, Tony. I had a chance to watch uh, Ohio State and TCU face off on Saturday night, and there were a couple of uh, big takeaways. Obviously, that defensive line showed up. We saw the sack fumble from Nick Bosa. You know, we saw Draymond Jones with the pick six off the shovel pass. So some of those big names certainly stood out for the Buckeyes. But I was kind of impressed a little bit with some of the skill talent for TCU as well. And you, you see the running back, Darius Anderson, he goes you know, 12 for over 150, two touchdowns against Ohio State. Uh, he had that one extremely long run. I think it was the longest run in TCU history, the longest ever allowed by Ohio State as well. But the skill talent overall in that game I thought sh- showed up pretty well. The, the wide receiver, Rieger, had a couple plays. Uh, what are you hearing about Anderson and then the rest of the running backs and receivers there for the Horn Frogs? Yeah, well, Anderson was my highest-rated player coming into the uh, to the season, and, and it's ironic. You look at Anderson, you watch Anderson, and he doesn't look or he doesn't play like a big back in the sense that he's a creative guy who's very explosive, who has the speed to beat defenders into the open field. But when you look at him, he probably goes about 5'10", 208 pounds. So he's got that sturdy frame. He shows some strength to his game. He's a guy who, you know, when he when he's tackled, he falls forward for that extra yardage. Doesn't really show himself as a, a as a stout short yardage back that may come down the road. You know, the question with him are his hands. You know, how does a TCU back translate to the next level in an NFL type system? And are his, can he catch the ball of the backfield because his pass catching uh, really has been below par? There are two uh, receivers, uh, uh, Turpin and, and Austin. They're not highly thought of in the scouting community, but they're guys that are potentially fourth or fifth receivers at the next level. In the case of Turpin, you're looking at a guy who is also going to have to double as a return specialist because he's so small. I think that TCU system oftentimes exaggerates the player's skill because they're so well coached, and it's a system that really doesn't that spreads things out, doesn't use a tight end. Anderson is the guy, he's the draftable commodity, and if he continues to progress, I have him as a sixth rounder, I can see him as a mid-around choice. The question is, is, is he an every-down back, and can he catch the ball out of the backfield, or, or is he just a situational runner? But it was a good showing against, as you said, a very good defense, you know, not just the defensive line, they've got some players uh, in that secondary, as they usually do the Ohio State Buckeyes. So, Tony, I went on to your, to your website, draftanalyst.com. I do every single week to check out that risers and sliders piece uh, for, for what you wrote about after week three. At the top of the list for you, 
is a guy that really helped himself, you feel, along the offensive line, and that's the San Diego State tackle, Tyler Romer. He's a young kid, so not uh, necessarily uh, looking at for this draft, maybe, but uh, certainly a guy that he is eligible. He's a redshirt sophomore. I haven't watched him yet. I don't know much about him. Tell me why I should be watching him sooner rather than later. I did my Mountain uh, Mountain West, West film work uh, late in the process, and what I mean late in the process, it was late August, and I was getting around to rewatching the Mountain West uh, again. And you know, uh, obviously, they, they, San Diego State had the uh, running back Perry, uh, Penny last year, who, who the Seattle Seahawks drafted in the first round. So I pay, played paid close attention to the offensive line, and San Diego State has two terrific prospects on the left side of their offensive line. And the guy who stood out to me was Tyler Romer. The first thing I noticed about him were just his fundamentals. He's a tall guy who goes probably about six foot five, six foot six, but he does a tremendous job bending his knees. A lot of times with these college offensive linemen, you see them blocking in an upright fashion with little knee bend, not Romer. I mean, he sinks his butt at the line of scrimmage. He's got excellent knee bend. And then the next thing that stood out to me was his movement skills. He's not a stiff guy. He can slide off the edge. He can get out to the second level and really get a good fit, get a good, get good positioning on the uh, linebackers to seal them from the action to open up the holes for the, uh, for the running backs. And the San Diego, San Diego State has had an exceptional running game the past, what, three, four years now. Um, I wanted to see him against Arizona State because Arizona State, uh, in the early going, has shown themselves to be one of the better defensive squads uh, in the nation. I think it's more the way they're coached and their scheme as much as it is their talent. And like I said in my piece, when I watched the game, San Diego State rushed for, I believe, was 312 yards, and a lot of it was off left tackle. They were running behind Romer, or they had Romer getting out on the second level, and he was sealing open the running lanes. Uh, he's a guy that's got growth potential and should only get bigger and stronger as he physically matures. He's a guy that has upside potential as a player. I like his size. I like his fundamentals. I like the way he's able to bend his knees and block with leverage. That's something oftentimes is tough to teach. He looks very comfortable in motion. Uh, and as I said, I, he's gonna, I confidently believe he's going to be the best offensive lineman to come out of San Diego State since Kyle Turley. I grade him as a third-rounder now, but, you know, if, if, if everything continues to progress, I could see him being a top 45 pick down the road. Wow, so certainly uh, somebody we've got to keep our eyes on you know, for the future. Uh, Tony Temple got a big win this week, first one of the year on the road in Maryland, and that game went a lot differently than I imagined it would, honestly. I, I've watched one Temple game so far from this fall. It was their defense against Villanova. Uh, and I watched it with the sole purpose of studying the defensive lineman Michael Dugby, and he's you know he was on Bruce Feldman's freak list as one of the top athletes in college football over the summer. He made it to the Senior Bowl watch list as well late in the summer. Typically, when a guy makes both of those lists, he shoots up near the top of my own personal watch list because he's a guy that the NFL seemingly is pretty high on, and he also has top-level athletic traits. So what have you heard about Michael Dubby? He's athletic. You know, I watch him. I'm not quite sure where he plays the next level. Is he a three technique? Is he a D-end? I think I like him more on the inside as a potential sub-package rusher. But what are you hearing about this kid in terms of his NFL potential? Well, I'm not hearing much, and that's not unusual. Let me explain. I mean, look at the last two drafts. Julian Taylor, the defensive uh, three, uh, defensive tackle from uh, Temple, was taken in the sixth round by the 49ers. He's on their active, active roster. Then the year prior to that, Hassan Reddick was taken in the first round by the Arizona Cardinals. Neither Taylor nor Hassan Reddick were rated by scouts 
coming into their senior season. Dogby has not, was not rated by scouts coming into his senior season either. So there's not been a lot of chatter because there was not a lot of information on him from scouts. When I watched him, you, you know, I saw a lot of what you did, a guy who moves well, a guy who's relatively athletic on his feet, not the strongest guy at the point of attack, but someone who opponents seem to concentrate on, but he struggles getting off blocks. I would agree with you in the sense that he looks like he's a three-technique tackle, maybe a, uh, a, a, a defensive end in a three-man front that plays a one-gap type system with three defensive linemen. He has a good amount of upside. It'll be interesting as well as fun to see what happens with him because if he goes on you know, to be, be a draftable commodity the way Julian Taylor and obviously his son Reddick are, and the guy doesn't come into the, uh, into the season rated by scouts, which he wasn't. I mean, that, that's another big plus for, uh, for the Temple Owls. Uh, want to see how he does throughout the entire season. Wasn't really a guy who caught my eye off of the 2017 film. Um, but as you said, you know, the senior bowls watching him. He is an athletic guy. Those types of players have a high amount of upside, as we saw with Reddick and with Taylor. Uh, so it wouldn't, be surpri- it wouldn't be a surprise to me if he continues to have a good year, has some good pre-draft workouts, he maybe sneaks into the late rounds. Yeah, that's a good point about Hassan Reddick. I mean, at this point in his senior year, I don't think anybody was talking about him from a national standpoint as, as a future first-round pick for sure. So that's a very good point. Uh, Tony, a couple weeks ago, you and I talked about that Georgia-South Carolina matchup and how excited we were for a number of reasons for that game, uh, battles in the trenches and then also at the skill positions. I went back this weekend. I rewatched the game with a focus on Georgia corner DeAndre Baker, uh, one of my top senior corners, my second senior corner coming into the year. He had a pick six in the game, was getting some positive buzz. So I wanted to just go and see how he looked against a very talented wide receiver core for the Gamecocks. i got to be honest, you know, I like Baker. I would say you know, there is a lot to like there, but I'm not sure that he's going to be viewed by the NFL as a true shutdown guy on the outside. That would be like you know, a top 20, top 30 type selection. Um, you know, I watch him. I think that there's starting potential there, but I think his physical tools are just solid. I think he, he gets, gets a little grabby, probably a little bit too grabby at the top of routes when he's in man. When he's in zone, I think he's got pretty good route recognition skills, um, but he has trouble finding the ball late down the field sometimes. Drew a couple of flags in that game. Um, I know you said that he was highly graded by scouts coming into the year. But I think, you know, when it's all said and done, I almost view him as kind of a third corner that comes on the field uh, on the outside when they're when a team starting corner shifts inside to nickel. Um, I think that's kind of which is fine. I mean, that's a valuable player, but I'm not sure that that's a first round type of player. Uh, Am I crazy for thinking that? What are you hearing right now uh, from what you've heard so far in terms of uh, DeAndre Baker and his future in the NFL? Well, no, I don't think you're crazy at all. And, and I've mentioned this a couple times on this podcast. The problem with DeAndre Baker is he can't make plays with his back to the ball. I mean, you go back to 2017, you watch the early part of 2018, he's constantly face guarding. What he relies on is his strength as, a, as an athlete to outstrip or outmuscle the opponents, but he rarely gets his head back around, which leads to a lot of grabbiness. That pick against South Carolina – if I remember correctly, he was actually facing the action. It looked like he was playing backed off the line of scrimmage, and he was able to see the action and make the play on the ball, which led to the touchdown. The thing about the concern about it is, is he's not a real big cornerback. I mean, uh, he was measured at about uh, just barely five five foot eleven, 185 pounds. So he's not a guy who's six foot six foot one, 200 pounds. 
and it's going to be a different ball of wax at the next level. I mean, I have him graded right now just outside of first round on my board. Scouts liked him a lot because they liked his height, his weight, his speed. But I agree with you, and I've mentioned it here before. Uh, you know, those cornerbacks who struggle making plays with their back to the ball usually struggle at the next level because you can't get away with the same thing on Sunday that you do on Saturday, and that's DeAndre Baker. He really has a difficult time. Which, what does that mean? That means you're going to have to see if you can use him backed off the line of scrimmage or in zone coverage. But it's going to be very difficult to use him in a bump and run type situation because he's never going to get it. He's never going to locate the pass in the air. So I do think he has some limitations. I don't grade him as a first rounder, although he was graded uh, ranked as I believe, if not the top cornerback, uh, one of the top two cornerbacks uh, entering the year by a lot of scouts. Um, but I, I, I think he's got good physical skills. I think the mechanics and, and some of the fundamentals really need to be to be worked on, especially getting that head back around and locating the pass in the air. So from one SEC matchup to the other, let's talk about uh, a game that you're excited to see this week, Mississippi State and Kentucky. We've got a couple interesting matchups this week. you got Texas A&M, Alabama uh, as well. But Mississippi State, Kentucky, you know, going through and watching, these aren't two teams that are necessarily considered SEC powerhouses, certainly not Kentucky. But both of these teams have quality talent on both sides of the ball. What, what matchups are you most excited to see in this game? Fitzgerald against that uh, defensive back seven uh, for Kentucky, which we've talked about at length. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald, highly rated coming into the 2017 season, was terrible last year. Uh, really, uh, 15 interceptions, uh, 15 uh, touchdowns to 11 interceptions. Barely completed 55% of his passes. Showed really little progress off what was a terrific senior campaign in 2016. Started off relatively well this year. Helped beat Kansas State as much with his legs as he did with his arm. Had a good game last week against Louisiana Lafayette, although uh, you know they're, they're not a powerhouse as far as defense is concerned. Going to be up against it this week. I mean, we've talked about Josh Allen. Uh, I talked about his performance against Florida. Uh, Mississippi State doesn't have the variety of things to do on offense or the variety of players that Florida has, although they've got a, a better running quarterback. Uh, they've got some play. Jordan Jones, who we've talked about, a guy who's a great run-and-chase linebacker, outstanding in pursuit. And then a player we both like, Mike Edwards. I mean, he's a guy who can spy on, uh, on Fitzgerald when he takes off and runs with the ball. And, and Edwards is, is the guy who's going to stick his pads in there. He's not going to back down to anybody. He's an intimidating hitter. And he also has excellent ball skills. And they've got a couple other guys in Darius West and Chris Westry and Derek Beatty uh, in that secondary. And all those guys, I think, will either be late-round draft picks or priority free agents. So there is a, a ton of talent. We talk about – everyone talks about Josh Allen. We've talked about Mike Edwards. There is a lot of talent in that U.K. defensive back seven. And it's going to be – you know, this is one of those statement games for Fitzgerald who, you know, needs them and needs to perform well on them if he wants to be a relatively early draft pick uh, come April of 2019 rather than a late last-day pick. So uh, it's a good matchup for both uh, both sides. I think it's a statement for both sides, but I think Fitzgerald really needs to have a good game against a, an unheralded but very talented uh, Kentucky defense uh, if he wants to impress scouts. 
Yeah, it's a matchup I'm planning on writing about this week in my Saturday scouting column because I agree there's a lot of talent in that Kentucky defense. And then uh, also I think Mississippi State up front, they've got some guys in the interior. Elton Jenkins is an interesting guy. He's got some position versatility. Uh, Deion Calhoun I've watched. I kind of like him. Darrell Williams is a young kid as well. So uh, interesting guys up front as well for the Bulldogs. Let's round this up, Tony, uh, with our mock draft roundup. We've got this week Trevor Sikama, one of the guys over at the Draft Network, Eagles picking 22nd overall in his mock draft that he released on Monday. So, obviously, the Eagles at one-on-one. This is the lowest that we've seen them picking here, or I should say the highest we've seen them picking here on the show so far. He's got them going with Stanford wide receiver J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. And we've talked about him a little bit on the show in other segments, Tony. I'm interested to get your take on Arcega-Whiteside. I watched him for the first time this, this past weekend. I watched him in his game against USC. Big-bodied kid, not really explosive, but really good at the catch point, and he gives good effort as a blocker, uh, does a lot of things well, comes from a basketball background, uh, was on the Senior Bowl watch list as well, even though I think he's a, technically a redshirt junior, was on the, the Senior Bowl watch list this summer. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on Arcega Whiteside, and are you hearing that he could be in this fir- first-round discussion? Uh, the latter answer, the quick answer would be no at this point. And you're right. I mean, what, what Stanford does, what Notre Dame does, you know, they go by their year, their academic year, rather than their, uh, rather than their NCAA uh, year. So he's, academically, he's a senior, but he's a fourth-year junior as far as eligibility is concerned. Big-bodied wide, I would agree with everything you said, except I think he's an exceptional downfield blocker. I mean, Bryce Love loves having a guy like that down the field because if there's a little bit of open space, he's able to use his explosion to get through it, and then you got Whiteside down the field stealing open the running lanes. You know, the, the question is, you know, it's like Alan Lazard of, of Iowa State. He's a big-bodied guy who's able to out-muscle opponents and high-point the pass, but is he able to get separation? Does he have any quickness? Does he have any speed or any burst? You know, and if he doesn't, what are you going to do with him at the next level? Uh, you know, you like that size. It's enticing. You like the height. You like the way the guy goes up and high points the pass. And, you know, it is a major advantage on Saturdays, not so much on Sundays, because you've got to be able, you've got to, be able to do more than just win out for the contested throws when you're playing in the NFL. I don't know that Whiteside is going to be able to do that. I think he's a draftable guy. I think he's someone to watch. But at this point in time, I don't think he's anything other than a middle-round choice. Made a great point about the blocking because he definitely made a, a great block for Bryce Love on a long run against USC. Well, uh, Tony, appreciate the time once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you again next week. Absolutely. Great stuff from Tony, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Tony Pauline. And by now, you know you can always follow me at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's and O's content you're looking for, that'll be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. And while you're there... Check out our tape study this segment this week. We had uh, Coach Deuce Staley on Eagles Game Plan, the running backs coach and assistant head coach for the Eagles to break down some film. 
Obviously, he reacted to the Carson Wentz news, but he also broke down a few plays from Corey Clement this week on the show. So if you're interested in learning more about running back play and their keys on zone runs and what Deuce is looking for on a couple of the big plays from Sunday's game against Tampa Bay, you're going to want to go and check that out. But let's keep things going here. I teased earlier that I would break down Ohio State wide receiver Paris Campbell, one of the top senior receivers in the country, at least based off who I've studied so far. He's the subject this week in Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Paris Campbell is 6'1", 205 pounds. He's from Akron, Ohio. He actually went to the same high school, St. Vincent St. Mary High School, that LeBron James went to. High school track star, some ridiculous sprint numbers from when he was a kid in high school in Akron. Was a third-team All-Big Ten pick as a kick returner back in 2016. Then he saw a much larger role last year on offense as a junior, and he was named third-team All-Big Ten as a wideout after that season. I've watched him both years as a sophomore and as a junior. Obviously haven't done the full study yet on his senior film but here's my report on him now as we sit here today entering this season now he's going into his third year technically as a starter he started two and a half years in the slot in urban meyer shotgun spread offense he did get some reps outside early in his career but he lined up mostly inside as a junior he's got below average height but he's got long arms. He's filled out his frame nicely. He's, he looks the part, certainly, for an NFL receiver. Good athlete for the position. He's got impressive burst, acceleration, fluidity, change of direction. He's got raw speed that you cannot teach with the ability to be a big th- big play threat at the NFL level. He eats up cushion quickly, and he's able to attack a corner's technique in a hurry. That means that he can explode out of his stance and get on top of a corner as he's in his pedal, almost stepping on his toes. That's a great position to be in if you're a wide receiver. Flash's ability to get a defender's hips flipped by attacking vertically one way and then breaking opposite. He's a good one-cut vertical route runner. He's really at his best running posts and corners down the field. He's also used on bubble screens and end arounds, reverses, jet sweeps, just to leverage his speed in the perimeter run game. If you get him out in space, he can use that speed to run away from defenders, and he's got the strength to run through arm tackles. And also, he improved as a blocker. He's got good strength and technique to sustain those blocks at the point of attack out in space. He had some nice flashes there last year as a junior. Now, from a negative standpoint... He's got to work on getting off press coverage at a quicker pace. His go-to move right now is a rip move, but he typically just tries to run by people and will take it too far outside or he'll waste too much time trying to shimmy and shake a defender at the line of scrimmage. He can get pushed off his route a little bit more than I'd like to see. I'd like to see him play a little bit stronger, play to that weight. There's some wasted movement as well when he's got to break down at the top of a route at the drive phase to run a comeback or a dig. I think he's still kind of thinking through things in that phase of route running. He doesn't always explode out of breaks either the way I'd like to see, especially with his skill set when he's working over the middle of the field. So I think he's still kind of thinking things through as a route runner. It's a small sample size, but I'm not really wowed by his at this point by his ability to track the deep ball. They don't do a lot of vertical passes in that Ohio State offense, at least leading up to this year. Obviously, I think they're stretching the field a little bit more this year, but leading up to this year, I didn't really see a large sample size of him tracking the deep ball all that well. So that's something I'm excited to watch when I go back and watch this 2018 film. Uh, At times, 
he fought the ball a little bit, especially when it was outside of his strike zone, uh, where he typically will struggle to reel them in for completions. He's obviously not the contested catch type of receiver. Uh, he's not going to shake defenders or you know run through arm tackles consistently after the catch. He'll just use that pure speed to break away out in space. And he did play in a heavy rotation. He was never really a full-time player at the college level. So overall, I look at Paris Campbell. He's a finesse receiver, very good speed. He's got value as a returner and a gadget player. He just hasn't shown the ability to be more than that yet at the NFL level. I think he's got starting traits and things that you can work with, those natural tools, but he's not a technician. He doesn't display a great feel yet for playing in traffic as a slot guy. He wasn't a proven deep ball threat at Ohio State in in terms of what we saw up through the end of his junior year. So what is he moving forward? I think personal workouts, private workouts with teams will be very big for him. I think he's kind of a work in progress, again, going into his senior year. So we'll see what he's able to put on film how he's able to progress here in his final season on campus. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk about Paris Campbell in particular this week is that there's some talk about whether or not he can play outside or if he's going to be strictly a slot receiver at the next level. And the reason why that's especially topical this week is that with the Eagles signing Jordan Matthews, a lot of Eagles fans are worried about Nelson Aguilar moving back to the outside. And here's what I have to say about that, to be frank. I 1,000% believe that he's going to be just fine. When you break it down, a wide receiver needs to be able to do three things in order to be able to play outside effectively. He's got to be able to defeat press coverage. He's got to create separation on his own as a route runner. And he's got to find ways to win on isolation routes. So when he's not part of a two- or three-man route concept, can he win on a deep post? Can he win on a backside dig? Can he win on a fade? Nelson can do all of those things. He can beat press coverage very well. He's the best route runner on this Eagles team. He can create separation on his own. Did he look great uh, last year? Absolutely. I believe that was more of a confidence thing, though, than anything else. I don't think, oh, yeah, they moved him into the slot, and that's why he did. He had so much success. That's something that Nelson has talked about numerous times over the last year is that his confidence was just so much better, and he really kind of took some time away from the game after the 2016 season and, and really kind of came back to a, a new guy in 2017. When he's lined up outside in the past – Nelson has shown the ability to win at the top of routes. He's shown the ability to get off press coverage. He can go win one-on-one. He wasn't bad because he lined up on the outside. He was bad because he was just playing poorly. He had too many drops, too many mental errors. It wasn't an issue uh, you know, that, that would have plagued him no matter where he lined up, inside or outside in 2016. Nelson has lined up in both spots this fall through two games, and I think that will continue to be the case. I expect him to continue the production and the volume that we've seen through the first two weeks of the season. So that's how I feel about that. That's how I feel about Paris Campbell, an interesting guy, certainly moving forward. All right, let's keep rolling here. I was happy to be joined by Greg Cosell from NFL Films on Mr. Relevant this week to talk talk about some of the top senior quarterbacks in the country. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Joining us this week on Mr. Relevant, my good friend, NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell. You hear him every week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Well, this week he's going to join me as well on the Journey to the Draft podcast. And Greg, Let's talk a little draft prospects. We don't really do this in the season. This is fun. No, well, I got a chance this year, Fran. This is how I spent my summer vacation. You came to the dark side. Yes, because people know I'm crazy when it comes to tape study. Yep. So because my older daughter got married in March, and Daddy paid for that, of course. Of course. uh, This year's uh, vacation was not really a vacation in a strict sense. Right. So since I'm not a good sit-around guy, I actually went into the office every day on my five weeks of vacation 
and just watch college coaching tape. I know like in years past when I would say, oh, yeah, I've watched 100 guys. We're at training camp, and I was like, oh, I've watched like 100 guys so far. You would look at me like I had eight heads. Right, right. And now you've surpassed. Now I've got eight heads, too. Yeah, you've got eight heads, too. So So I actually watched probably 130 guys. That's great. So I'm excited to pick your brain on a few of these And the nice thing is when you're doing it then as opposed to leading up to the draft is you don't feel the pressure of a deadline. You know, I'm sitting there leisurely – you know, watching tape for a while, going to the gym, you know, coming back, watching some tape. So, you know, if you say to yourself, oh, gee, I can watch another game or two just because I want to, yep. you're fine because you don't feel like you have to get through 100 more guys in two weeks. Sure. So let me ask you this one question before we dive into these notes. Did your process, does your thought process change at all knowing that these guys have another full year yes. at least of tape? Yes. Okay. How so? Well, it changes in that I know that there's theoretically more room for improvement. Not that there's not room for improvement when you get to the NFL, but the NFL is a little different animal. Right. And because of the collective bargaining agreement, because there's less time, and it's just different. So when I look at a guy, plus these guys are younger, they're still developing uh, body-wise, yep. maturity-wise, physically. So although I think, and it's a great question, because I think at a certain level, you can probably make you can always make guys stronger, and, and I'm very conscious of that. Even when I watch guys who are coming out into the draft, you can get a guy in an NFL weight room and make him stronger and no change doubt. his body around. Yep. A lot of scouts I've talked to over the years, and, and I know you've talked to many. A lot of guys would say you're not going to make a guy meaningfully more athletic. Right. You know, I mean, you know, a four six guy is not going to be a four three eight guy. Yep. He might become a four five five guy, which is a minuscule difference. Yep. But so. You tend not, you know, a guy, you tend not to make guys significantly more athletic. No a quarterback, for instance, if he doesn't have a real good arm, he's not going to have a gun next year. Right. He is what he is in that. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's certain things I think guys can get better at, and there's other things that's kind of what they are. So, let's get into what guys are right now in terms of your vision and how you view these players. Uh, let's start with a quarterback that I was very intrigued by. Uh, you know, coming into the season based off of the film that I had watched from 2017. That's Drew Locke from Missouri. He's got off to a, a red-hot start right. so far. Huge matchup this week against a, a Georgia defense that's got talent at all three levels. Yeah. Uh, I'm very, very interested to hear your thoughts on one Drew Locke. Well, Drew Locke is one of those guys that as soon as you turn on the tape, you see that the kid has a really good arm, and yep. that jumps off the screen. I mean, he can throw the football. So he's. He, I looked at him as a – Talented, natural pocket quarterback. I mean, he's got some movement, but at the NFL level, he's essentially a pocket quarterback. Yep. Wouldn't you agree? No question. Based on what you've seen. Um, he made some outs. Again, we're going back. I haven't seen the first three games, so this is all based right. on. No question. Last he, year, I watched six both. games, six yep. full games. And I thought that he made some outstanding NFL-type throws. He threw a beautiful seam ball, which is a big-time NFL throw. That requires sort of firm touch. That's that's a tough throw because it's not a drill throw on a line and it's not an arc throw. It's it's a what I call a firm touch throw. He was very good at that. Um, his delivery was pretty compact. I actually thought that the offense that he ran last year, which is now different because there's a new coordinator, yeah, Dooley's didn't necessarily help him because it was very half field read based. And I thought that once the half field read wasn't there, he just there was nothing else to do, and he had to leave the pocket. Yep. And I don't, I never think that's good. So I'm very anxious to get to a chance to watch him on tape. But he certainly can drive the football. The one thing that concerned me, I thought he was a little scattershot at times, Fran. 
And that always concerns me as you transition quarterbacks to the NFL where windows tend to be a little tighter and you have tougher throws to make, tighter windows. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm anxious to see him, but that was that was my biggest concern. I need your best Twitter answer, meaning 140 characters or less. Uh, how does he compare to Drew Locke cause he's get, or to uh, Josh Allen, who he's gotten some comparisons to? I would say he's probably a little more refined. Okay. But... I so think, he's probably a little more consistently accurate. Yes, but but the issues are there. But the issues are there. Yes, yeah, yes. I would agree. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the next guy. Uh, another player that a lot of people are really high on. You're really high on, or you're a lot of people. Oh, are really oh, high oh. On. I I look at Will Greer, and the flashes are good. They're they're pretty good. Yeah. He made some really nice throws last year, but he missed a lot too, and that's that worries me a little bit. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm interested to hear your thoughts here's, on here's, And I'm going to read be, just because, you know, I watched it this summer, and I did see one of his games on TV this year, and I actually okay. thought he played well. Which game was that? Oh, who was it against? They played Tennessee week one. It, might, it was Tennessee. Okay. It was Tennessee. Yeah, they, they lost, they, it's a shame. They played NC. They were supposed to play NC yeah, State. Yeah, I know. They got canceled. Yeah. That's a, he, here's what I said in my transition at this point, again, okay. knowing that he had another year. I said, Greer's skill set and NFL profile presents him as a shorter-than-desired pocket quarterback that must be mentally sharp both pre-snap and post-snap with high-level elimination and isolation traits and precise with his throws as far as timing and ball placement. That's what I think he is. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not a power-arm thrower. He's not a weak-arm thrower, right. but he's not a power thrower. I actually made the point that, and again, this guy's going to end up being the all-time leading passer in the NFL, but I'm talking stylistically, that he must be a Drew Brees-style quarterback. A guy who's efficient in all the subtleties and nuances of the position. I can see that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, and I think theoretically, you could say he has a chance to be that guy, uh, but we'll we'll see. And it's going to be a transition for him coming from that offense. Yes, too. that's going to be a big. It's thing. the the air raid offense. It's all shotgun. I mean, people are going to say, "Well, the NFL game has changed," and uh, maybe it has. Look, this week in the NFL. There was a ton of points scored and a ton of touchdowns. Right, and you know, Patrick Mahomes came from a similar offense. Right, and, right. And so, yep. so that's a case-by-case thing. Yes, no question. Uh, one guy who won't necessarily have that issue because he does come from a scheme where he's used a little bit more in a pro-style fashion is Ryan Finley uh, from NC State. And he did, you did see him a little bit more under center. Yeah. He go through some more pro-style reads, full-field reads. Tools aren't great. But I think he knows what he's doing. It's funny you say that. So, again, I said he profiles as a pocket quarterback with a good feel for the timing and rhythm of the pass game. Yes. I said he's not a strong-arm passer or an overall high-level traits prospect, but showed some polish in the pocket with an understanding of route concepts and reading progressions. His ball placement must become more precise as he continues to develop. And then I said, is there, com- is there a comparison to be made to Kirk Cousins coming out of Michigan oh, State? there you go. That's interesting. You know, So I wrote, a timing and rhythm passer that lacks the physical traits to be a true quality starter in the NFL, but he's good enough to stick in the league for a long time as a quality backup or low-end starter. Won't win games for you, but can manage manage an offense. Don't think he's ready day one to be that primary backup, but by year two, I'm confident. And it's funny you say that because I always try to be as objective as not that you're not. Of course. You know, and thinking what could he be in three years? Because Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick who did not play very much his first couple of years. No doubt. And now, obviously, he's a quality NFL starter. You know, where people put Kirk Cousins, uh, you know, in terms of ranking quarterbacks, I don't know. That's a debate. But where is he on your top 10 quarterback list right now? (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't have one of those. Yeah, I know. But I mean, could Ryan Finley three years from now, in the right with the right coaching staff and the right system, become that kind of player? Right, no question. I think he's he's a good player. I really enjoyed watching him play. He knows you how to play about the upside. No yeah. question, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right, let me ask you now about a guy that I actually haven't watched yet, uh, Clayton Thorson from Northwestern. You know who he kind of reminded me of? Who's that? He kind of reminded me of a bigger Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, okay. Now, I thought that Thorson had a naturally stronger arm than yep. Trubisky. Tough loss for them, by the way, this week. Oh, real tough. Yeah, it's yeah. tough to lose to it. Akron's first win over a Big Ten team. I know. Yep. And I, but I thought Tr- Trubisky was more consistently accurate in college than Thorson is. Okay. But... Thorson obviously is, you know, playing at Northwestern and obviously losing games like that. People always point to the quarterback as if he's at at fault. I didn't see the game on TV. I certainly haven't seen the tape. But I think that he has a chance to be a pretty high-level prospect. Now, Hmm. whatever that – look, you and I both know there's guys who were talked about at this time of year as third or fourth-round picks. Then all of a sudden we get to a month before the draft and there's six quarterbacks – who, who everybody says are going to be taken in the first round. Davis Webb, right. Right. So, I, you know, I don't want to go there, but, but I'm just talking about, I think, his size, his arm strength. I thought he was pretty good with his elimination isolation ability, the processing. He's got mobility. I think he needs to clean up some ball placement issues, and he needs to clean up some decision-making issues. But there's a lot of talent there and a lot of size. Any other quarterbacks from the senior class that you've watched? Because I know you've watched a bunch of yeah. them. Yeah. Anyone else that kind of stands out to you well, as someone to, to keep an eye on? I watched Brett Rippon. You know, I mean, he's a— Who's put up crazy numbers this yeah, year so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched—how many games did I watch last year? Let's see, one, two, three, four, seven games last okay. this summer. This is the quarterback Rippin. from Boise State, by the way. Right. Yes. And, um, you know, another guy. He's a shorter-than-desired quarterback. In some ways, he's kind of like Ryan Finley. I mean, Finley's bigger, but he's shorter-than-desired. You get into that same discussion about the relative importance of arm strength, and everybody feels differently about that. You know, that's a philosophy thing. There's some people who look at a Brett Rippon and say, "Uh uh-uh, and other people will say, oh, no, he's got some really good other traits. Mm. Um, I thought that Boise State's pass design was really good. You said you haven't seen him? I haven't seen him yet. I mean, it helped him to be rhythmically efficient, I thought, with its well-defined timing and and many predetermined reads, but... Mm. They, you could say Jared Goff has predetermined reads in, in Sean McVay's system, sure. and it works. Yep. So that's not in and of itself a bad thing. Um, I thought his 2017 tape probably presented him at, as a lower-level starter or a quality backup, but now he's a guy I'd like to see in 2018. Interesting. I'm, I'm interested to get into his film. Uh, one last guy I want to ask you about because you know I, I love him, and I know you've watched him, and I know you really like him too. <clears throat> is the Alabama running back, oh, Damian yeah. Harris. And yeah. Alabama, obviously, has just been uh, steamrolling teams uh, lately. I think they may have just scored another touchdown, exactly. by the way. It's Monday night. Yeah. They may have yeah. scored again on yeah. all this. But um, good play. Very, very good play. And the great thing for him is he doesn't get a ton of carries. He's not going to be worn out. Yeah. I, I really liked him. I mean, I thought that his size, build, and running skill set, both mental and physical – uh, showed as a feature back in the NFL. Now, again, you get into that same discussion. Is he special? So, you know, and if he's not special, then do people say, well, he's a third round pick? You know, I can't answer that. Is Kareem Hunt special? Like, he went in the right. third round. Right. He went in the third round, too. Right. And he led the NFL in rushing last year. Right. So, I mean, he is deceptively quick. I love his body type for an NFL runner. I mean, he's he's probably 220. 
but he's got really deceptive quickness too. I mean, yeah. I, I liked him a lot. I like. Look, I, I put out a list of my top my favorite 25 seniors going into the year and I think he was in my top five so should, I think a lot yeah. of people are talking oh like that's pretty high for I mean who are they, like, do you think he's gonna go really high and I'm like I don't know that he's gonna go in top 10 but Damian Harris is a good football player I said my final line transition and again obviously I, I watched all of his 2017 runs and other things as well but but that's what I did I said there were times watching Harris with his vision and dynamically quick feet I thought he could develop into a great back in the NFL so I put a. I don't always do this, but I put a player comparison on because I I wanted to say like who does he remind me of? So I'm thinking of like all these backs. Oh uh, wait, wait! Can you give me a hint before you just throw it out? Um, Somebody playing now? No, he retired like four years ago. Oh, five years ago maybe. AFC. AFC. He was productive for a handful of years. Kind of came out of nowhere, and became very well. Not kind of. Definitely came out of nowhere. Really very productive. Yes. So he was not a big time college no, player. No. Was known for the fact that he came from a very, very small school. Small school guy. Yes. Oh, this is going to be problem. He went from a col. He came from a college, not from a university. Then I, I, I won't know. Fred Jackson. Co- oh, college. Fred Jackson. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think of Fred? Of uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, Harris is a quicker, more dynamic, he's got a little bit more runner. juice. Yeah. It's like I look at I look Fred at him Jackson at, was a good back though. I know, like the way like I look at him Fred as, Jackson was a great receiver, like really too. light feet. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't shown it quite as a receiver, yeah. David yeah. Harris. But yeah. uh, like I, I think they've got similar in terms of their, their light feet in the hole, right. just the competitive style, the gait. I think is kind yeah. of similar, even though he's that. got a little bit more juice. I, li- I like Damon Harris though a lot. So do I. All right. So do I. Greg, appreciate the time here. We'll get you again for sure here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Only uh, a matter of a, a few months here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff as always from greg cosell hopefully you can get him back here on the show the show again very soon i know that probably won't be until the off season but greg obviously always has great information now before we transition to our next segment you guys know how much i love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on facebook it's great support and we really appreciate it but what we love most here is when you go take a minute and you head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating or leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to Wild Farm, who went on to Apple Podcasts and gave us a five-star rating and commented saying how much he loved the podcast and the information from guys like Tony Pauline and Ben Fennel on a weekly basis. So thanks to Wild and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennel, look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this weekend in college football it's time for saturday scouting all right time to welcome back in my good friend ben fennel you can follow him on twitter at ben underscore no ben fennel underscore nfl two n's two l's as always ben fennel underscore nfl ben i would say this, this segment's called saturday scouting but this week it will be Friday scouting because you will be on, a, on, a, on the road for Friday night. But before we get to that game, let's first talk about last week, Saturday, you were in uh, Ames, Iowa for Iowa State, Oklahoma. <clears throat> Turned into one of the better games of the weekend, I thought. Uh, a competitive matchup. Oklahoma obviously came out on top. What were your, some of your big takeaways? Let's start uh, on the Oklahoma side of the ball. Who was the guy that stood out to you from, from that team? Yeah, it was a very competitive game throughout. You know, uh, Iowa State was in it for about three and a half quarters, and every time Iowa State would put up points or have a big play, Oklahoma just responded on offense, and Iowa State just couldn't get that signature defensive stop throughout the game. 
and eventually the talent drop off with their offensive line really yeah. caught up to them in the fourth quarter and uh you know, Iowa State really kind of fizzled in the fourth quarter as they were trying to rally. But for Oklahoma, I was just really impressed with Kyler Murray. We all know about his baseball pedigree, being drafted, making nearly as much as Lincoln Riley this year as a baseball player, as Lincoln Riley is as a head coach in college football. Very strong arm kid, almost a whippy arm. And it's just fun to see the different wrinkles that Oklahoma is using in their offense. Mm. I think everyone assumes Baker Mayfield, short, white, Big Ten quarterback, that it's some Johnny Manziel fleet of foot type of player yeah and he really isn't he played within the structure a lot more than people thought and yeah they'd work in some zone reads but to see what kyler murray brings who's so much more athletic and more explosive now they're working in so many more quarterback running options whether it's zone reads triple options qb follows qb powers Mm. taking advantage of his athleticism keeping the ball in his hand so it's really interesting to see those different uh wrinkles baker mayfield is running a lot more rpos than kyler murray was but and they're gonna have to rely on that too no rodney anderson now sermon got hurt in the game as well yes yeah uh, they're going to have to rely on on that kind of that part of the running game. And even sure. another running back got banged up pretty good in the game. And he's, Kyler Murray's a small frame kid. He really reminds me of Russell Wilson with the baseball background, a bit of a whippy arm. And they're both very good at protecting themselves. They know how to slide, get out of bounds, not take big hits. Um, and then on the defensive side of ball for Oklahoma, I had a, I was paying very close attention to Neville Gallimore. Talked about him last week. The D-tackle, sure. yes, who's had absolutely freakish off-season workout numbers. An interesting story being a Canadian guy. So I was really watching him. I thought he looked great off the ball. Had some very twitchy moves off the ball, off the line of scrimmage. A really good get-off. Great at engaging offensive linemen. Just left a little bit to be desired after that first initial step or the first initial contact with offensive linemen. Just struggled to finish, struggled to find ball carriers, struggled to burst and really close on ball carriers. So you'd see a flash of something, and then he just couldn't finish the play. And you're wondering, is that effort? Is that technique? Right. Uh, so you just left a little bit more to be desired there. Well, remind me, is, is this his first year on campus? No, he was on campus last year. Okay. Uh, so this is his second year as a as a full-time player. He's he was obviously, a red shirt last year? Yeah, he was a red shirt last okay. year. Uh, he's obviously being used more. They have some depth issues as, as well. So I don't know if he's just wearing down a little bit in games. I know the offensive coordinator, Mark Stoops, defensive coordinator, excuse me, Mark Stoops, wanted to get him involved earlier in games. And yeah. he looked great off the ball, just wasn't finishing the plays like I was really hoping for. So on the other side, we talked last week about the two skill players for Iowa State, and you were really excited to see David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler. Uh, it seems like both guys stood up. There were a lot, there were a lot of tweets, a lot of videos being uh, tweeted out of Hakeem Butler, that crazy yards after catch play down the seam. Um, what are your thoughts overall after seeing both those guys in person? I know you sent me a picture of uh, of Montgomery when you were down on the field watching warm-ups. Yeah, we'll start with David Montgomery. We was able to see him up close. It was just great to see it and get a look at his body type and how he's built. He's got a little bubble in his butt. He's got huge arms. He's a well-built kid. He's about 5'11", just a shade under 220, so pretty good size. He's not a bulky back, but he's also not light in the pants either. I think he could really handle an NFL workload. And we've seen that in college with his workload. He had some really tough runs. Some of the more impressive two and three yard runs you'll ever see. Mm. Like we saw his contact balance and his ability to wiggle off defenders and continuously fall forward. He just didn't have any big gains in the game. He didn't have any signature plays like he did last year in the open field. He wasn't used in the pass game much. He only had one catch for seven yards. There was even an instance in the second half in short yardage where they took him out. Hmm. And it was just kind of a puzzling moment. Even announcer Dave Pash mentioned why he was on the sideline. I don't know if they're just trying to reduce his role this year. Obviously, he was near 300 touches last year, so the wear and tear is a concern. 
but didn't just didn't have that signature play in the game. It was really one of the flatter games from David Montgomery. And I know scouts are really starting to watch this stretch because started to fizzle at the end of last year, didn't play great in the bowl game. And then to start this season, he's just been okay against Iowa and Oklahoma. Quality opponents, quality defenses that NFL scouts are going to put a lot of emphasis on. Yeah, no question. That's why we always try and focus in uh, weekly on Saturday scouting on the article on the matchups. Who are the, the big matchups each week? Because those are the first games that scouts will go to watch. And certainly for David Montgomery, Oklahoma and Iowa, two uh, def- definitely some two very talented defenses that he'll be facing or that he has faced so far this year. Uh, talk about what you saw from Butler. Yeah, Hakeem Butler. I'm so glad we got ahead of the curve on this because he, he blew up Twitter and you know Sports Center top play with all these. Uh, high point contested catches and some of the catch and run opportunities. He had five catches for 174 and three touchdowns. Grabs a 25, 51, 57, 30. Last year he had six plays of 50 plus. So let's just talk about in 2017. Alan Lazard was more of the outside the numbers guy. He didn't have a lot of juice outside of the numbers. And Hakeem Butler was used over the middle of the field, number three in trips quite often, running a lot of tight end routes, but he looked good doing it. I saw he was sudden, he was sharp in and out of breaks, ran some sneaky double moves, knew how to set up defensive backs with head movements and hip usage, was sneaky strong at the top of routes, loved to use those long arms and the big frame to kind of push off. So I was really interested to see what type of role he'd have in 2018 being outside the numbers. I think he's a much more explosive player than Alan Lazard. Kid 6'6", 220, 225, and I expect him to run right around 4'5", so he's got some juice to him. He's got great tracking ability. He's very physical at the track point. And the second Oklahoma came out in single high and that safety rolled the other direction, this quarterback is throwing a jump ball one-on-one to Hakeem Butler, and most of the time he came down with it. So let's get into it now. We've added a category because we, we you know, the first couple of weeks I had, all right, what's your one play takeaway from each game? Then last week we added the off-the-bus guy, who's the guy that was most impressive physically. We've got a new category this week. We'll work in the first two first. One play takeaway from this game. I think I know where you're going because it was a big play, but let's just hear. What's your one play takeaway from this game? Yeah, my one play takeaway saw a couple elements on the same play. We're going to go back to one of those Hakeem Butler jump balls down the field. Was able to shed three, four defenders after the catch. You just saw his ability to come back on an underthrown ball, use his size, and then just straight being a physical, tough, aggressive receiver in the open field. But what you didn't see on that play was Neville Gallimore with an excellent get-off off the line of scrimmage, splitting, I believe it was the center and the left guard, squeezing through the A-gap, pursuing the quarterback, and was just a step late once again. And I feel like that really represented his day of showing that flash off the ball and just a step late every every snap and not showing that burst and that closing ability to get to the quarterback uh, before he gets rid of the ball. Yeah, I know you sent me that play. I figured that was the direction you were going. Let's go to the off-the-bus guy. Who was the most impressive physically, in person, you're down on the field watching warm-ups. Who really caught your eye? Yeah, and I'm not going to go back to Hakeem Butler here. This guy is good-looking. He's 6'6", 220. He looks very similar to A.J. Green. Kind of that slight, lanky, long-frame receiver. I don't want to say... You're going to be excited about it. I can't wait to go watch I don't want to say he's A.J. Green, but they look the same in, in shoulder pads and a helmet. But another guy is a young player for Oklahoma. is a second-year linebacker, Kenneth Murray. He's 6'2", 235, 240, okay. sophomore linebacker, will also rush him off the edge. This guy is just a freight train. He has long arms, huge legs, big butt. 
He now he now wears a, rec, a neck roll under his pads. Love the neck roll. So he just has that look of a very imposing defender. And once he came out with his full setup after warm-ups, getting ready for the were game. Were the sleeves rolled up? They were rolled up yeah, high. Yeah, yeah. So you saw yeah, that yeah, long yeah. arms. You saw that hunched neck with the neck roll back there. He's got huge legs. This guy just looked like a problem out on the football field. He's one of those first-off-the-bus guys. All right, I like that. All right, so now uh, the new category this week, the, and this one was from you, so I got, definitely got to throw it in there. The down the road freak show. Who was the young guy that caught your eye? That you know, obviously not for this upcoming draft, maybe not for the next upcoming draft, but down the road we should be you know kind of following this filing this name away to keep an eye on. Yeah, as a young freshman, I believe his name is Ryan Smith. Ryan Jones or Ryan Smith. Yeah, Ryan Jones. I'm sorry. I knew it was one of those generic class names. But he's one of these freshmen. Oklahoma's working in the defense. There's about five or six of them on every level of the defense. There's a safety, a linebacker, D lineman. And this kid, they're trying to get that hybrid player in Oklahoma's defense. So he was actually a high school receiver, came onto campus as a safety, and now he's being used as a safety linebacker Mm. hybrid. And Oklahoma was very excited about him in our production meeting, talking about his involvement and just finding more of those three-down players that can play the run, that have the range to play, you know, the pass abilities, and are also tough to hang out in the box and maybe incorporate into a pressure package. That Oklahoma felt like some of their personnel was too segmented. We had run defenders, and then we had to bring on our pass defenders, mm. our pass safeties, our pass dropping linebackers. So they just want to get a more of a hybrid player back there to stay on the field for three downs. It's kind of like the TCU approach almost. Exactly. And, you know, uh, this Kenneth Murray kid is a really nice player as linebacker as well, but on third down, they're going to start to rush him off the edge. So he doesn't necessarily have have the coverage ability and the athleticism. So they're just trying to find that player that they don't have to take off the field or move around. All right, so let's transition now to, to Friday scouting with uh, this matchup. You've got uh, USC, Washington State, Friday night. Is this in, uh, is this in Washington? Or it's in it? L.A. at the Coliseum. Oh, yeah. that's right. You First did trip say. to the Coliseum. Very nice. All right, that's exciting. So first off, how does this change your whole week with it being on Friday night instead of a Saturday. For, give us a little bit of inside baseball here from a production standpoint. Yeah, you know, it throws things off just a little bit. Our preparation and our what we call our set day will now be on Thursday. We're going to try to watch practice on Wednesday uh, and Thursday for whoever's still out there now. Um, and we're going to meet with the coaches tomorrow. Everything is just a day ahead. Really throws us for a loop because we're in such a routine at this point in the season with our college football crew and showing up on Thursday night, Friday morning, having production meetings, going through our set day, preparing everything on Friday for our game on Saturday. So things are just a little bit quicker, yep. but looking forward to having you know a full day of Saturday to sit back and watch the other games. Yeah, so we'll pick your brain on some of that next week for sure. All right, let's talk about the game now. Uh, USC, there's a few big names to keep an eye on here. And really, let's start on that defensive side of the football. Very young offensively uh, are the Trojans, but uh, defensively there are certain a lot, certainly a lot, a lot of names. At the linebacker level, I feel like that's where we got to start. This is a, a 3-4 team, um, so you've got Cameron Smith on the inside, Porter Gustin on the outside. Uh, tell me about both of these guys and what you like and maybe what you want to see them kind of prove here this weekend. Yeah, USC on the defensive side of the ball is tons of athletes, tons of talent, a plethora of four- and five-star kids. I don't think the team as a whole is really going to play very well this year. A bit of a turnover on the offensive side of the ball, losing Ronald Jones, losing Sam Darnold, a lot of uh, depth issues on the offensive line. So I'm not expecting to be too competitive of a team as they're going through some some changes and roster turnover. But there's a lot of talent on this defensive side of the ball, almost like a University of Texas. Now, they mm-hmm. haven't really been you know competing for national championships, have been a little bit down in the win totals. But 
these guys are pumping out NFL stars, and there's tons of talent to consider as far as moving on to the next level. But going with USC's defense, Cameron Smith, bit of an old-school linebacker. Throwback player. Senior, yep. 6'1", just a shade under 250, a bit of a heavy-footed linebacker for today's NFL standards. He has great instincts. He wants to play downhill. He has a good first step. He can beat second-level blocks either with that first step or his size and physicality. He's got a good frame. Can overreact just a little bit. Isn't very twitchy to recover. If he's moving one way against play action, he has a hard time changing directions, putting his foot in the ground, and showing that recovery speed. He's also a little clunky in his zone drops and pass coverage. So very much a run-stopping, in-the-box linebacker that you want going downhill. And it's really interesting to see his linebacking mate, John Houston, who's a redshirt junior. And it's very similar. It reminded me of the complement of linebackers at Ohio State a few years ago with a Jerome Baker, Raquan McMillan playing alongside of Josh Perry. Josh Perry, more the old-school, downhill, thicker linebacker. Jerome Baker, Raquan McMillan, more of the speedy, silent-to-sideline guy. So that's the complement I see right here. And John Houston, Jr., Dealt with some injuries. He was a four-star kid. He's 6'3", 220, sideline to sideline speed. He uses his hands, can get off blocks. I love these linebackers that they'll line up in gaps pre-snap because it tells me something about how they can handle themselves as a defender against these big offensive linemen. Can they handle the physicality? Can they handle when a 300-pounder puts their hands on them? And this is a guy that I felt like can handle that physicality and has the toughness, and he'll fight these offensive linemen. I really question his effort and his intensity. Hmm. A lot of times I see him with good instincts and he's on the way to a play, but by the time he gets there, he's running about 75-80%. So I just want to see him finish more plays and play to the whistle, run 100% until that whistle or that echo of the whistle uh, blows. And like you were mentioning, Porter Gustin, obviously a lot of talk about Porter Gustin the past couple of years yep. with his workout habits and his work ethic off the he field. He's like a complete meathead in like the best <laughs> possible way to describe it. Like the guy wakes up at like four in the morning, drinks a protein shake, then goes back to sleep and like sleeps for another 30 minutes and wakes up and goes right to a workout. Like kind of a freak show from that standpoint, but... Uh, certainly an interesting football player. Yeah, well. he's a big peanut butter sandwich guy for anyone that knows uh, what that's about and putting on weight. He arrived <laughs> at, to USC at 235. He's now oh. 262. Had some pretty impressive offseason workouts with a 475 bench, a 575 squat, you know, a 36 and a half inch vertical. Just watched him against Stanford a few minutes ago. This guy is the definition of a methodical pass rusher, a methodical outside linebacker. There's a purpose for everything. When we talk about pass rush plans, Mm. this guy is the definition. Now, why? Because he has to. Right. He has some physical limitations. He's not an exceptional athlete. So when he steps up to the line of scrimmage, he needs to have a plan, a backup plan, a counter plan, and a counter to the counter. Because he can't beat anybody with pure strength. He can't beat anybody with pure speed or athleticism. So you have to have a plan. And he falls into my methodical technician pass rushers. You watch Chase against, Winovich. Winovich, you know, is another one. Yep. Watch him against Stanford and these big uh, you know, right tackles and left tackles at Stanford. You see spin moves, long mm-hmm. arms, two-handed swipes, inside rips, a variety of counter moves from push-pull, arm over. He's a two-point stance rusher who's never going to put his hand in the ground. Yep. He's just annoying to play against because you can never let up on this guy. 
If his move gets stuck, he has a counter move. Hmm. He has, if that move gets stuck, he has another move off of that. He's all got all sorts of dirty tricks to get off blocks. He's a fighter. He's a scrapper. He's got effort. He plays absolutely relentless. He just looks like he's annoying to play against. He's that pesky fly. He's that guy running through walkthroughs in the practice that right. you know is always playing that step harder and a step more intense than everybody else which is a lot of fun to watch those players on tape all right so Cameron Smith bring it back a sec do you think he can be a three down player in the NFL that's what the scouts are wondering and that's what I'm concerned with as well I don't know if he has the coverage ability I don't like his you know matchup ability and you know uh, being able to cover and man responsibility against running backs and tight ends his zone drops are a little clunky as well but he's the leader of that defense. He's the quarterback of that defense. His movements and his body type look a lot like that Luke Keekley, where Luke Keekley doesn't look like somebody that should be able to hang on third down in the right. NFL, but he's so instinctive. And that's where Cam that's Smith's I, ability can help him. Is I, yeah. He is an instinctive player. He knows where to get to spots almost before it happens, and that's what helps him. My issue is the recovery and just straight matching up against speed and athleticism. Can he ha- handle it and can he hand, uh, you know, hang with these athletes? And then Porter Gustin, do you feel like he's got enough juice, it's almost the same kind of question, to be a three-down player in the NFL? Porter Gustin's going to be a tough one, and I think he may still have to develop. I'm not sure what his ceiling is going to be, but I'll tell you what, he's going to get into an NFL training camp and absolutely light up the practice field with his effort, his hustle. He's going to be first in line for drills. He's going to love and embrace a special team's role and just finding whatever he can do to help this team. I'm not sure where scouts are going to view Porter Gustin because he does have some athletic limitations. When you say, when we get to draft time, we're just talking about edge rushers. He's going to get grouped in with Cleon Farrell. He's going to get grouped in with Brian Burns. Yep. He's going to get grouped in with these long athletic edge rushers, and he's obviously going to take a back seat to those guys among scouts. So I'm not really sure where to place Porter Gustin right now other than just being a guy I want on my football team. He's a strong player. He's, you know, he's, he gives a great effort out there. He's a workhorse. He's a guy you want in your locker room. Like if you took, if you took Porter Gustin and gave him um, – uh, who's the kid? Rashawn Gary's body, just—I mean—he'd be the number one pick. Not even close. Forget it. Like he's the runaway, without a doubt. But I think a lot of those go hand in hand. I think when you know you're not athletically gifted, that's why you have to work even harder on the practice field. You have to work harder in your workouts. You have to spend the time off the field, like drinking protein shakes and peanut butter sandwiches at 3 a.m. because you need to put on weight. And I don't want to say he's Clay Matthews. But this is a similar career arc to Clay Matthews, having walked on to USC, came to USC very undersized, and really put in the work in the weight room and off the field to become a dominant player. Now, Clay Matthews was similarly relentless, but a much more explosive athlete. So, Gustin's going to get matched up a good amount of this game against Washington State's left tackle, uh, Andre Dillard, who uh, came into the season, probably Washington State's most highest-rated prospect, um, I haven't studied him yet. I know you have. Give me the scouting report on uh, Andre Dillard. Yeah, I'm uh, very high on Andre Dillard, and he hasn't gotten nearly as much love as I think he should. I'm, he's definitely a top 10 tackle right now for me, 6'5", 306. He was only a three-star coming out. He's a senior. Last year, Cole Madison was also their highest-drafted player. I expect him, yep. an offensive lineman as well, to be their highest-drafted player. Just got done watching his first couple games of the season against Wyoming where he was matched up against this long athletic edge rusher, Carl Granderson. A lot of people are really high on Granderson. Yep, Carl Granderson's getting a similar praise to uh, 
where Dorrance Armstrong was from Kansas hmm. last year. 16 tackle for losses, 8.5 sacks last year. He was a productive player, and I thought Andre Dillard absolutely shut him out and pitched a shutout in this game. Plays an excellent posture. His eyes are always up. Plays a good balance. He's never sloppy, out of control, never gets his weight too far out in front or overextended. Excellent awareness. I want to say Wyoming threw anywhere from 10 to 15 stunts and twists at him, whether it was a TE, an ET, a pirate stunt, a long stunt coming from the other side. And these tackles with good awareness and play with their eyes up were able to see those twists coming. I just felt like he handled those very well. I hate the vertical sets at Washington State, which it looks like they got a little bit away from that. Hmm. So I'm interested to see where that goes with this season. The vertical sets, for those of you who don't know, are you're taking more of a straight back pass set as opposed to a 45-degree where you're getting some depth and width with your pass drops. The vertical sets go straight back with the idea that you're allowing a lot of the action to cross in front of you. So for stunts and twists like that, you're not having a tackle shooting out on a defensive end. You could kind of let the action move in front of you, but you're in very much in a catching position. You don't always have your feet in the ground, your cleats in the ground. So these Washington State tackles always get this label that they can't handle power. They can't anchor. I just feel like the vertical set sets them up for failure in that in that regard. But he has good feet. He's explosive out of his stance. He really runs his feet on drive blocks. They'll even pull him a couple times in some power runs, hmm. uh, about five or six times in that uh, Wyoming game. He doesn't look good in space. They'll move him out you know, in space on jailbreak screens as well. He's a bit of a plotter. He's not yep. a good athlete. But he handles his business at the point of a point of attack, and you know I think he's really going to move up draft boards uh, once they start studying him in the spring. You think he's a tackle? Right now, I do think he's a tackle, and like you had mentioned, uh, as I was watching his Wyoming game, he reminded you a little bit of Deion Dawkins, just how he looked, who's now the yeah. left tackle for uh, the Buffalo Bills. There may be a bit of a debate. He has long arms. You know, he's 6'5", 300, so right off of body type and length, I'm not ruling, ruling him out in being a tackle at the next level. But if he's not athletic and can ha- can't handle the speed and athleticism off the edge, the next spot will obviously kick him into guard. So that's, that'll do it for that matchup on Friday. One matchup I'm excited to see Saturday, Ben, is uh, my number one senior quarterback, Drew Locke from Missouri, who's is really just torn it up this year so far uh, for the Tigers. They take on Georgia. This is their first really big test, uh, especially in conference for this Missouri football team. I don't expect Missouri to win this game, but I really want to see how this kid looks against a defense that's got talent at all three levels. I mean, DeAndre Walker, Jonathan Ledbetter, uh, Jay Hayes, those three guys on the defensive line, Natrez Patrick at linebacker, DeAndre Baker at corner. Uh, This is a really talented upperclassman-laden defense for this Georgia Bulldog. So uh, this is a good test for, for a guy that has put up crazy numbers. I'll be very interested to see how Drew Locke looks against Georgia. Um, so, all right. So, uh, that'll do it this week. Another week here with Ben Fennel here on Saturday scouting. Uh, again, you can check out that article every week on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or on my Twitter feed at fduffy3. Ben will be back next week to recap this game. Great stuff again. Always, you can always check out Ben on Twitter at Ben Fennel. Two N's, two L's. That's underscore NFL. All right, time to wrap up this podcast with a Q and A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so this week in Draft Mailbag, I've got one Twitter question from Campophobic. 
Have you profiled Montez Sweat yet? This is the defensive end from Mississippi State. Now, uh, I watched Sweat from last year, his junior year, and he's a pretty intriguing kid now. He's 6'6", he's 241 pounds, very long arms, built like a small forward in basketball. He's got a very explosive first step, high motor kid. I like some of the plays he made in pursuit. I like that he can line up in a number of spots, left side, right side, hand in the dirt or standing up and find ways to win. The off-field's got to get checked out. You know, he was suspended uh, and eventually left the team at Michigan State a few years ago, went to junior college, then landed at Mississippi State, and obviously he's had plenty of success there. Uh, Going into this year, I wanted to see him improve his overall plan as a pass rusher. You know, he flashed the use of a speed-to-power move, which was great, but he can't counter once he's initially blocked. And I thought he was kind of a one-trick pony last year outside of a couple of flashes as a pass rusher. So he needs to improve that pass rush plan, get stronger, get a more get more powerful. That's what I wanted to see from Sweat this year. He's one of the more intriguing pass rushers in this senior class. So I'm excited to really dig into the film for him. He's obviously going to have a good test each and every week here as we move into the SEC competition. So certainly a guy to watch here moving forward. And he plays for the same defensive coordinator that coached Derek Barnett at Tennessee uh, and Bob Shoup. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. So good question there from Campophobic. And if you ever have any questions for the show, feel free. Hit me up on Twitter at FDuffy3 or head over to one of our podcast channels. Give us that rating. Leave a comment in the comment section. Guarantee you. It's a guarantee that you will make the show. But appreciate the support as always. Great stuff this week from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennel, Greg Cosell, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you for listening as always to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.